Um, so today's part four on the end days and uh, this series isn't to give my interpretation of the end days prophecies that we see in the Bible, um, but hopefully it just gives you enough to familiar, familiarise us all with the realities that Jesus is coming back. And that's something that we don't often talk about or preach about these days, but we have to keep at the forefront of our thinking and our living is that Jesus is coming back and we've got to be ready for that day. It's, uh, it's also good to have visitors with us today. We see Noah on the front row. Good to have you back, Noah. Um, and there's others around the place. Lorraine Dow is back. She's come back to the promised land just for a few weeks. So um, there's others around the place that I see that it's great to have you with us here this morning. So we're going to look at, at, at the subject this morning, the millennium reign of Jesus. Everyone say millennium. millennium. So that's not, in, in the biblical sense, that's not a, um, an age group um, dynamic that we have today, but it means a thousand years. So I'll, I'll explain it all to you. The word isn't found in the Bible. So we have a lot of, a lot of sayings, a lot of things that we use today um, in church, uh, and that word isn't actually found. It's not a biblical word. It's something we've, uh, we've used to describe um, a time frame from the Bible. So it refers to a thousand years. So millennium means thousand. Um, and it's a thousand year period that Jesus talked about um, when Satan, the devil, is bound and his influence on earth is removed. So if you can imagine, what would life be like with no devil? So that, that's this period of time where the devil's influence and his, his power on the earth is removed. He's taken away for a thousand years. So I'm going to introduce a concept, though, that hopefully you can understand in what I'm speaking this morning, is people don't need the devil to be sinners. You might think, oh. But actually, we do pretty good even without the devil's help. So I'm going to give you the, the millennial reign defined this morning. It's Christ establishing his rule on earth for a thousand years while Satan is in the slammer. So if you want to, that's what the millennium is all about. The devil in, is in jail. He's locked up. So I'm going to give you some background about God. Who likes to know that sometimes our concepts and our thinking about God is a little bit twisted because we've seen it and we've learned things from church that sometimes aren't always accurate. So Psalm 90 verse 2, some stuff about God, it tells us this. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth, so basically before you created the earth, and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. For you, a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. So I start my message this morning from this scripture. A thousand years to God is like nothing. Time has no bearing on God. There is no past or future. He transcends time. Time is part of creation, not part of God's eternal existence. And to say that as, as people with minds, with thinking, with, with the constraints that we have as human beings, we can find that very um, unexplainable. That's another thing about God, is there's so much about God that's unexplainable. We cannot even scratch the surface of, of the enormity of who God is and what God is. So time is one of those factors that we, are, that we live with that we can't even comprehend what, what time, what, what the world or what life, what existence is without time. 
But God says, I know because I created time when I created the universe, but I don't live in time. So this is, is going to really be spooky. So with God, what happened with Adam and Eve is now and yesterday and at the same time, and what's happening now is then, it's like, whoa. So we've got to get our concepts around the power of God transcends the factors that limit us. So hopefully that's, that's, you know, we don't have to try and understand God because he's much bigger than we can ever understand. So we can't comprehend eternity and time. So when we use the phrase end days or end times, it refers to earth as we know it, that that's going to come to a conclusion. The millennium begins with a rebellion against God. So the millennium really starts with this thousand year where Jesus um, reigns on earth. It starts with the people of earth, inspired by the devil, saying, let's fight God. So they're saying, we're going to fight with God. So Revelation 19, verse 19 tells us, Then I saw the beast and the king of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. The one sitting on the horse and his army is Jesus. Now, they went to fight Jesus. Now, who knows when you think you're going to fight God with a normal army that something's a little bit unbalanced. But they went to fight Jesus. And I just remind you, the last time the devil tried that was at Calvary. And he had the Roman army nail Jesus to a cross. At that day, he's thinking, I'm going to destroy God. I'm going to destroy God's plan and purpose, and I'm going to kill Jesus. And instead of defeating Jesus, the cross defeated sin and death for all time, for all who believe it. Um, from then on, the devil has sought to deceive the nations and discredit and mock and belittle the cross. That's why this little, this little booklet I have here is banned in more countries all around the world that could get you jail time in more parts of the world than any other book. Why is that? Why would you be threatened by a book that talks about the, 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 the power and the love of God? makes no sense because the devil wants to try and belittle and discredit and mock the cross and he thinks I'm going to, I'm going to try and stop the message getting across I'll make it illegal I'll work uh, 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 I'll put a spirit into the world that will cause um, governments and, and, and kingdoms to, to oppose this book so Jesus sacrifice on the cross is the power of God that divides us from our sin and makes the way for our eternity with God. So we need the cross and we need to always remember when we're thinking of end times things and all this sort of stuff, people can be occupied and, and preoccupied with, with what does this prophecy mean, what's the, what's the beast, what's this, what's that and lose out of all that. The, the central focus is Jesus Christ dealing with your sin so that despite what the world may, may do or become, we know that we're walking with Jesus. We're going to walk in righteousness. We're going to walk in peace. We're going to walk in victory because that's the, cent the central theme of everything is that people know who Jesus is and the power to save us from our sin. So that's, that's the, the whole of everything is that our sins are forgiven. Our, our past is washed away and we can live in relationship with God in victory. So we move on. Back to the war. I got distracted. Back to the war. 
Revelation 19, verse 20. It says, And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Now, these things, these entities that we're talking about, the prophet and the beast, that's not the devil. So sometimes we can confuse that thinking, well, that's, it's Satan, he's the beast, but it's not. They're actually, they're actually humanistic. I don't know whether they're, they're individuals or, 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 or entities of some sort, but it's not physically the devil himself. We're going to see that clear in a minute. And Okay, I'll get back to the start. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast, and who worshipped his statue. We're going to look a bit more at the Mark of the Beast next week. Who's looking forward to that? So next week, I already started on that one. Um, So both the beast and his false prophets were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's a real um, fire and brimstone message right there. So Revelations 20, verse 2 to 3, and we need to focus on the, the love and the goodness of God that doesn't want anyone to end in these kind of places. So it says... He sees the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil. So there's a different entity here. We had the the false prophet and the beast. And now we're talking about the devil himself Um, in uh, chapter 20, verses 2 to 3. He sees the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked, So Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterwards, he must be released for a little while. So the devil is neutralized. He's taken out of circulation, uh, no longer in a position to influence the world for a thousand years. And this event heralds Jesus' thousand-year reign on earth. So in the meantime, Satan is shut up. His voice is no longer heard. and, And he's... He's falling. He's falling. He's like, ah, because it's a bottomless pit. And, and, and if you could hear it, you could hear his voice screaming, ah, falling, falling, falling. Ah, can I have the next thing, please? He falls asleep. He falls asleep, falling. So he's like, ah, and he, he has a dream that he's falling. And he wakes up from his dream and he's falling. It's like, it's, it's, he's in this terrible nightmare. Devil or not, nobody wants to spend a thousand years falling. I should have had a thing, the devil was harmed in the production of this <laughs> message. But I reckon that's enough time to think about stuff. So if you were given a thousand years to think about, you know, when you're in school or at home and you get in trouble and, and the teacher or, or your mum or dad might say, now you stand over there and you think about what you've done. And all you think about is, but, but I really wanted the chips. I really wanted a handful of chips. And you don't really realise that what you did was wrong. And so the devil, he's, he's had enough time to think about stuff. In the meantime, getting back to the story, while the devil is falling, while the devil is screaming, ah, something else is happening. A godly kingdom is set up on earth where Jesus rules and reigns supreme on the earth. Revelation 20 verse 4, it says this, And I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. 
And I saw uh, the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. Now, we, I'll just explain that next week about the, the mark of the beast. I, I touched on it a few weeks ago, but we'll look at it a bit more in depth next week. They all came to life again and they, re, they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So here we have um, saints who have died are being raised to life again. Those who have been martyred for their faith are being raised to life again. And Jesus is going to be on earth reigning in a supernatural way. And the believers with him are going to reign with him. A thousand years with Jesus reigning on earth. A thousand years of righteous government. A thousand years of peace. A thousand years with with uh, Satan off the scene. Uh, God not only demonstrates his fairness and righteousness to people, he gives them a thousand years to live in that goodness and in the presence of God. And God is giving the world a thousand years of relationship with him to prove his goodness. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. I love this scripture. It says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Now this this verse specifically is about our time that we are in right now, where God's saying uh, he's delaying the return of Jesus Christ in the rapture so that people can have opportunity to get their lives right with God. So he gives people time. And after, in this situation, if I can... Um, connect these two verses. After all, that thousand-year period where Jesus rules on earth with with the believers, there is a a new rebellion against God arises. If you look at Revelation 20, verses 7 to 8, it says, When the thousand years came to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. And... It says in verse 8, he'll go out to deceive the nations, called Gog and Magog. We're going to look at them in a a little bit. In every corner of the earth, he will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numerous as a sand along the seashore. Now, we started off looking at, at the start of the millennial reign. It all started when Jesus came to earth to rule and reign on earth because the devil had organized all the earthly rulers and, and, and leaders and armies to gather together to fight against God. And what God did is it says he, he wiped out all those armies and he took the devil, the beast and the false prophets and put them into jail, put them into prison, put them out of circulation for a thousand years. Then after a thousand years, you know, um, an angel calls to the devil who's falling and he's been falling for a thousand years. He's gone a long way down and then this, an angel says, God wants you back. So the devil goes, he's transported immediately from falling to... And he finds himself on a beach somewhere on earth. And he's like, oh. He suddenly forgets what it's like to fall for a thousand years. He's let out. And you know what he does? The first thoughts on his mind is, I'm going after God again. I'm going after the world again. I want the world to worship me. And it says that he, um, 
He'll go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog. He'll go to every corner of the earth. And he'll gather them together for a battle. A mighty army as numberless as the sand along the seashore. So the devil's let out and he goes after God. And he goes into deceiving the nations. <clears throat> and Satan has this mad rush against God and he deceives the world to go to war against God again. So if I can just do a diversion. They mentioned there um, two spirits, Gog and Magog. They're evil spirits that wage war against God. They're active in the world today. They challenge God's order wherever they can. They are the spirits um, active in the world today. They're challenging every godly principle, everything that God set in order in his, in his uh, um, plan for earth, in his order. They, the, the spirits, Gog and Magog, will interrupt and interfere and seek to deconstruct what God has put together. There are the spirits at work in dividing churches. There are spirits at work that challenge God's order in the church. And they seek to destroy churches by under, undermining leadership. We need to understand in the end times, in the end days, there will be spirits at work in the earth that want to destroy humankind. We also need to understand that there is another spirit, a greater spirit called the Holy Spirit that the Bible prophesies will be poured out in the last days. That your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, that, that, that um, the spirit will be poured out without measure upon all people. And so we need to be a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't be feared, uh, living in fear of the gogs and the magogs and thinking, well, what do they mean? And, and, and they want to destroy us. You know, they always will. But we've got to understand that we're going to, we're going to uh, tell the, the, the power of Jesus. We're going to spread the message of Jesus. We're going to stand for righteousness and we're not going to stand for the devil's watering down of the word of God. This is what one author says about the millennium. <clears throat> After a millennium in the abyss, when released... Satan immediately leads a rebellion against God and against his saints. A thousand years of imprisonment does not change the deceiver. The beast and the false prophet do not change after a millennium in the lake of fire. He goes on to say this, However frightening the prospect of eternal perdition may be, we may be certain that God's righteous judgment will be vindicated. This is assured by the great extent to which God went in sending his son to die for us. The grace and the love of God are beyond measure. The cross demonstrates not only the love and mercy of God, but also the sinfulness of sin. I hope that in just those couple of paragraphs helps you to understand the millennium and that God is completely righteous in all and to all. That thousand year period, I think, perhaps is God's final attempt to see whether those who oppose him will change, but they don't. So when we consider our own, our own walk, our own life, and whether we know God or not here today, you can become a follower of Jesus. 
the Bible shows us how to be right with God. The first thing we need is to believe Jesus is the Son of God and that he gave his life to redeem you. That's the first platform. We, we don't deserve it. We didn't do anything to earn it. And in fact, the full gospel of the message of Jesus Christ isn't, hey, you get your life right, you be good, and then now God loves you. The truth is we weren't good and we're not good, and God loves us anyway, and the way to the Father is through Jesus. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except through me. That means through his sacrifice, through his blood, through his um, paying for our sins. And it's a huge, huge mistake if we think, well, God will love me once I do this right. God will accept me if I serve him better, if I, if I learn things, if I do things, if, I, if I'm smart enough or good enough, then God will accept me. The, the truth is, we're never going to be any of those things, but Jesus Christ is all those things. And when we put our faith into Jesus, then God accepts that as righteousness. It doesn't seem fair. The person that's most unfair to is Jesus. But he carried our sin, our burden, our, our, our falsehood, our fakeness. And he took all those things upon the cross and said, I'm going to give you something precious, eternal life. The second thing we need is turn from sin and ask Jesus to forgive our sin. That just means you say, hey, I'm sick of this. Some people these days have a real struggle to under, try and figure out what sin is. Because sin, for many people, you don't actually feel bad. You don't feel anything different when you're, when you're doing it. But we've got to turn from sin and ask Jesus to forgive us of our sin. Because sin separates us. It's our natural nature. There's so many things within, within that, that that is sin. And the third thing, we need to live for Jesus or give Jesus our life and say, Jesus, here I am. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. Now, serving Jesus isn't an act to get God's attention it's a response of a heart that says thank you God thank you God for, 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 for cleansing my life thank you Jesus for being with me and because you're with me I want to serve your purpose in the earth so if you just bow your heads with me perhaps you can stand this morning so I know there's going to be someone here this morning and you want to be a follower of Jesus and you've never heard it in that way this morning I'm going to ask that you can uh, indicate to me if, if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior with every eye closed so that we can give people some privacy this morning if you think I, I want to make things right with God or, or perhaps you've been away from God and you think I've been living my life my way and I've got so comfortable with sin again that, that I know I'm getting further and further away from the call and the purpose that Jesus has for my life if you're in either of those situations with no one looking around, just raise your hand and say, will you pray for me? I want to make things right with God. Just raise your hand nice and high and I'll see it and I'd love to pray with you. Thank you. I see that hand. Anyone else? Thank you. I see that hand. There's two people wanting to, to make things right with Jesus today. We celebrate with those people. We say thank you for being obedient to the purpose and the call of God. I'm going to pray a prayer this morning and we're going to celebrate in a moment with, with singing because of that change that Jesus is doing in people's hearts today. Lord Jesus, if you can just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are a, a, a good saviour. I ask that you take my sin 
and cleanse me. I repent and turn. I want to give you my life. Work through me. Stand with me. I'm yours. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we just want to encourage those people this morning. If you need to talk, come and see myself, uh, Pastor Pauline, or, or some of the others on our team. And um, let the, I guess let that decision um, be worked out fully in your life. You won't. There's a saying that I've heard from uh, a man called Brian Houston. And he says this, you'll never come second when you put God first. I love that. But sometimes we, we, uh, we want to live out the, our life our way, put God last, and then think, why, why aren't things working here? So next week we have a guest speaker. We'll see that in, the, in our, in our um, announcements. But I really want to encourage you. Mike Smith is a, a great pastor from Melbourne. Uh, you're really going to love him. He's an evangelist by heart, and he um, loves to uh, uh, you know, tell people about um, how to connect with God better. So bring friends. You'll love it. We've got two services with Mike Smith next week. Um, have a great week. That's all from me. And Sarah, over to you. Thank you. God bless.